um, we're really excited to see you all here. So my name is Leandra and I'm with the Hollywood Film Institute Partnership and I use she for pronouns. This town hall is hosted by HIP and Lacey. The HIP is a collaborative of youth serving agencies working together to end youth homelessness in Hollywood. And Lacey is a coalition of service providers and government agencies and stakeholders who are committed to supporting young people experiencing homelessness across Los Angeles County. We brought you together today to do a deeper dive into the 2022 youth count numbers. As you all may know, last week, LASA released the homeless count results, and we saw there was a dramatic decrease in the number of young people counted across Los Angeles County. We know that young people have always been a hidden population, and we've always known that the youth count is an undercount, but this year's decline is concerning. It's clear that the crisis of youth homelessness in Los Angeles is not accurately reflected by the count, so we have brought together a panel of providers and young people to share about the impact of COVID on the count and on young people. Um, to talk about the changing nature of youth homelessness in Los Angeles, and to share ideas about how we can move forward, forward to get a more accurate picture of youth homelessness in the future. So first, we're gonna go over some of the data that was released, as well as some preliminary findings about the youth population, and then we're gonna hear from our panelists. We will have time for a Q&A after the panel, so if you have any questions, please drop them into the chat and we'll make sure that we get to them. So first, let's get started with the data. Um, so on the first slide here that you all see, um, we're going to start with the overview of what's happening with the general homeless population in Los Angeles County. Um, so this year, LASA reported increases in homelessness for the general population. So there was a 4.1% increase between 2020 and 2022 um, in LA County and a 1.7 increase in homelessness from 2020 to 2022 in LA City. Um, for all of you that don't know, 2021, we did not host a homeless count. So we're really looking at um, comparing 2020 to this year's data, which is 2022. Um, so with the overall population seeing smaller increases than previous years, um, now we want to look at the youth, what's happening with the youth population. Um, there are overall reported decreases in unsheltered and sheltered young people. Um, so for the whole continuum of care in Los Angeles, um, there was a 37% decrease in the K population. Um, and then Hollywood and Venice, where we traditionally have seen large numbers of young people, um, saw a really sharp decrease, 85% decrease in the K population in Hollywood and a 74% decrease in K in Venice. Um, and then similarly for Skid Row, 74% decrease. That doesn't generally, Skid Row doesn't generally have a large population of young people, um, but they did see a big decrease there. Next slide, please. Um, and then we saw some preliminary findings about the youth population. Um, they, LASA is going to be releasing the um, the youth the youth count numbers in the next couple of weeks. Um, but just some pre preliminary findings were that there's an estimated 58% reduction in unsheltered young people. Um, there was a 64% decrease in the number of surveys collected. So far fewer um, young, far fewer young people um, were, count, were even counted during the count. Um, and then the percent of unsheltered young people reporting mental health issues nearly doubled. So in 2020, it was 16% that reported mental health issues. In 2022, it rose to 30% of the unsheltered population. Um, and then also similarly concerning was the percent of unsheltered young people that reported substance use issues. Um, that increased from 7% to 40%. Um, so what we're seeing in some of these preliminary findings is greater distress amongst young people. Um, and then the LA County Department of Public Health recently um, released a study that found there was a 106% increase in deaths among unhoused young people since the beginning of the pandemic. And this is increasing at a greater rate than older adults experiencing homelessness. 
Um, so we really wanted to bring you all here today to look at these numbers, think about what this means and think about the implications um, and hear from providers and young people about how um, the count went, what happened this year exactly, and also about just the changing, uh, the changing demographics of young people and what we're seeing um, in our day-to-day -day work. So I am going to hand over to Travis, who is going to help us um, get introduced to the panel. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Travis, and I'm the Youth Advocacy Coordinator at LensCo. Um, and I'm going to be introducing our panel. Uh, so if all of our panelists could come off camera, that'd be great. Awesome. Um, so uh, just please share with everyone your name, your pronouns, uh, what organi organization you work with. Um, and then for the icebreaker today, uh, it, I, I'm asking, um, what are you doing? Why, why are you continuing to do this work? Or what brings you into doing this work today? happy to go first. Uh, Kevin Salarte, uh, he, him pronouns with the Housing Justice Collective. Uh, gonna have the privilege of moderating um, our panel today. And what brings me into this work uh, is, is really a true belief that uh, young people have the solutions. Um, and uh, it's what brings me to uh, the work in LA and, and the work we're doing around uh, building a young person-led intermediary. And it's uh, what brings me into all these conversations is figuring out how we uh, truly shift power uh, to young people with the solutions to, to make the change. Thank you, Kevin. And thank you for being on this panel. Um, Isaiah, do you wanna go next? Yeah, um, Isaiah Choquette, they, them pronouns. I'm with the LA LGBT Center, um, the Advocacy, Advocacy Council, the Youth Expert Board at Lensco, and then HIFLA uh, with LASA. Uh, I, I'm here uh, purely just to really have this conversation and really break down what's going on here and then also present the, not just my experience, but the experience of my peers and what they have told me has been going on in their community. Um, and that's what it is. It's it's this is my community. So this is why I'm doing this. This is why we'll continue to do this work is because these are my people. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you can make it. Um, Ashley, would you like to go next? Yeah, I can go. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Ashley. Um, I use they them pronouns. Um, I'm the youth coordinator for SPA 4 and I work at the LA LGBT Center. Um, and for the question why I'm here, um, I love working with young people. I've been the center for about eight years and, um, you know, kind of like what Kevin shared is, um, you know, um, hearing all the, like the new things that are coming up. And um, now that we're working more collaboratively um, with young people and hearing new ideas, it is really exciting. And I'm looking forward to, um, to all the potential changes that could be made and um, just looking forward to what's next, so. Thank you, Ashley. It's great to have you here. Um, Tony, would you like to go next? Yes. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Tony. He, him, his. Um, I think what brought me into this space is the fact that I have my own lived experience. 
which led to curiosity of wondering how things um, things happen or why things happen the way they happen, on, especially in my case or in the cases of others. So wanting to understand that and you know seeing behind the curtains kind of idea um, led me to being where I am today. Thank you so much, and thank you for bringing your lived experience on this panel. Yes. Um, and also, I don't. Sorry, I was gonna say I don't know why my camera's still not working, but yeah, it's all good. Bye -bye. I'm glad we can hear your voice. That's all that matters. Um, Jeffrey, would you like to go next? Sure. Hi, everybody. My name is Jeff Katz. I'm the director of strategic initiatives at my friend's place. I am filling in for my colleague Aaron Casey, whose name you see on the screen. Erin is uh, doing what she does best and is working with a young person right now. Um, and that really, I think, is why I'm here in the bigger sense is the importance of continuing to center our young people, the experience that they're having in our organizations, the experience they're having out in the community and making sure that their voice um, is not lost in these conversations as we discuss important things like funding, resources, and really just community sentiment around the issue of uh, homelessness in LA. So thanks, Travis. Thank you, Jeff, for joining us on such such short notice. Um, Kevin, I'll uh, bump it over to you. All right, thanks, thanks a lot. So uh, really excited for this panel today. Um, my job is just to uh, shoot questions over to the experts that we have on the screen. So that's what I'm gonna be doing today. Um, and I thought we could start, um, if we could, with, um, Isaiah and Tony, and a uh, question to, to both of you is really around, we saw, we saw that a uh, few slides of data that Leandra posted um, that really kind of talked about both uh, perceived pre reductions in, in homelessness that looked really big, but also increases in, in mental health uh, struggles and substance struggles. Uh, but we also know that the data is only one piece uh, to the picture. Um, so my question for, for both of you is, what is what's the data not telling us um, about uh, some of the important things around understanding uh, homelessness among young people in LA and ending homelessness among young people? So again, from your perspective, what, what, what are we not seeing in this data that you would want um, this, this group of folks to know? I can go ahead and go first. So for me, the first thing I would want everyone to know is just that this data is over a certain period of time. This doesn't exactly represent the full scope of homelessness going on throughout the rest of the year. Um, I think that's a very big thing to also realize is that during that time, it could be that there's a number of things that were also happening. COVID has surged um, and the way that COVID has affected youth um, in particular is completely different from how it's affected adults, I feel like. Um, a lot of youth, um, uh, just that alone, they're struggling with that. Um, I think the numbers as far as mental health and substance use are a huge indicator of the, the, the sorry, the mental health side effects of COVID. Um, that's something that we're still dealing with finding out to this day, um, some of the long-term effects. Um, I think the biggest one being the isolation. A lot of youth have been isolated or forced to be alone on their own, going through whatever they're going through on top of COVID, on top of everything going on in the world. And so, it's a lot because at the end of the day, they're still youth. They're still just becoming adults, getting used to what that means and getting used to what it means to be on their own. Um, a lot of them are coming from trauma. A lot of them are coming from um, survival and all that stuff. So it's, this isn't in of itself, 
it's hard to really get a good picture of what's going on when you're taking a set scope of time. Um, the other thing that I really think uh, isn't being uh, kind of thought of is the methodology, um, the method in which this was calculated and all this stuff was found. I think that's something we also need to look into. Uh, when I was, this summer, I got to do an internship with USC. And one of the biggest things that we kept running into or seeing was that there was an error in the data, but it wasn't because there wasn't enough data there or there wasn't the data we were looking for being there. It was the way that, and the methods that that data was being sought out wasn't working. Um, I think one of the biggest things is that we're not incorporating enough youth to help us find or track or survey for these youth. Um, I think that's a thing that we really need to focus a lot more on um, and try and do because through that, you can gain a much better perspective, a much better connection to what is going on and what is happening in real life for a lot of youth. Um, I think that there's a lot of, there, there's a lot that is going on into the world and our society that prevents us from being able to really uh, trust and connect to people right now, especially right now. Um, and I think that was one of the biggest things with this and how it was done is it requires a lot of trust. It requires you to have a connection with these youth that after two years of pandemic and people being just kind of uh, scattered and I'm not really sure of who they can trust and where they could go because of what's safe and what's not. It's hard to then ask them, hey, can you take this, can you take a few minutes and do the survey with us or can you go whatever it takes. Um, and I think it there's yeah it's just there's a lot that there's a lot being missed and it's it's hard to encompass all of that um, and cover everything but I think mainly the biggest things to reconsider are the methodology how it's being done and who's enacting it um, there was uh, I was made aware of like of just how some of it was um, done and it's it sounds like we also need to think of like being intentional with those that are coming in giving them the capacity and the understanding that hey just because you're getting or you're being told to do this directly off of this, maybe we should look and see, or look a little deeper and ask a little bit more probing questions. Because um, it like, um, I think one of the questions on there that was said was how, where you, where you housed the other night? Um, and the way that the survey is done is it goes off of HUD definition of housing, which that does not, for youth homelessness, it is not the same as what HUD believes it to be. Youth homelessness is couch surfing. It is shacking up five, six people in a one to two bedroom apartment. Um, it is floating around until you find a safe place or something that comes around. It's not just sleeping on the streets or just sleeping in your car. There's so many variations of it. Um, and I think that's what's also not being thought of is that youth are innovative, we're innovative. We're coming up with new ideas, new ways to get by and to, as, as the old elders will say, cheat the system or get one over the man, but it really is just, we're finding ways to enable community in our own without that influence and that should be supported and, and, and increased instead of discounted. And then now you're looked at as not being a part of a population that you very much are. Yeah, thank you, Isaiah. There's, uh, there were so many, <laughs> so many good points in there that I want to come back to, uh, particularly some of the points uh, I think we'll get to a little bit uh, further into the panel around what are those ideas around uh, improving the methodology, because I think you make such a great point that simply the way you collect the data can fault what you get out of the data, right? Um, and we've known that like comments in the uh, in the chat. We've known that for a while that this methodology doesn't work for, uh, for young people. So I, I'm gonna pull back in later some of the things you said, but I just wanna highlight um, the fact that more young people out there surveying is needed, 
the fact that uh, the point around trust uh, and what, what young people are willing to or able to share or not based on the trust of who's doing the survey. Um, and I definitely want to pull back in uh, here in a minute. Um, the idea of how you asked the question around were you housed or unhoused last night and what that means to young people and how we start expanding the way we're asking that question and the way we're tracking that question so that we're getting a better picture of what it truly means to be unhoused uh, for young people and not fitting that into such a narrow, uh, a narrow way of thinking of what it means to be unhoused, I think. Um, uh, really, I took, took a bunch of notes and we'll pull some of that back in, but Tony, I'm curious, is, are there other things from your perspective that you feel like uh, the data is just, the data as it is, is just simply not showing us or not telling us about um, uh, the state of homelessness among young people in LA right now? Um, I think Isaiah pretty much covered most of the points, but uh, to add on to what he said, I think Obviously COVID played a huge part in this. And I think that led to a lot of young people, obviously, whether you received unemployment or not, you kind of received some kind of cash supplement, which then led to, you could pay, you know, you found ways to find housing. And, you know, whether that was paying another friend that was already in like rapid rehousing and be like, hey, let me, let me pay you a couple bucks to sleep on your couch. Because, you know, in the beginning, none of us really knew what was going on or, you know, what to do. So and then a lot of service providers, um, you know, were closing because, you know, staff getting uh, COVID. So it's like people had to get inventive, you know, whether it was through, um, you know, finding friends to live with or, um, you know, moving into, I forget what the hotel thing it was, but um, the idea that a lot of people weren't also having to redefine the meaning of what counts as homeless, because then if you're if you're couch surfing or if you're using Airbnb and also you're only using Airbnb because you were able to get that employment money, it doesn't mean that you're technically employed or have a place to live. It just means that you got a sort of a cash supplement and then now that puts you in a different category whereas you technically still are in the same category because you're not paying rent. You're not, you know, you, you don't have your own place. You just have a little bit of cash that's helping you get by. So I think uh, redefining that term, what it means, because I think it will um, unravel a huge um, hidden population of youth that are experiencing homelessness, whether it's kid, uh, youth that are going to college or youth you know, that have jobs and are working, but still aren't able to meet um, those requirements to have their own places. So I think, um, I think the numbers is low because of how the count was, but also I think, because it was affected mainly by lack of people uh, volunteering to do the count and um, just a lack of, I think COVID obviously played a big part in that count. And I think, yeah, pretty much that. Yeah, it, it, like Tony, from what you're saying, I like I kind of, in my head, a lot of that equals to like stability, right? And like long-term stability and the fact that like the count may have shown because of some great resources that came online because of uh, pandemic relief or other reasons, 
it may have shown that some young people uh, were able to survive uh, for a night or two or, or temporarily, but that doesn't tell us actually the decrease in homelessness. It doesn't tell us a decrease in long-term stability uh, is a lot of kind of what I got out of what you were saying is like that's, that's not being captured in those numbers, like a true idea of like, are young people truly no longer experiencing housing instability uh, in, in the long term is, is something Honestly, those numbers never can tell us based on the way that um, uh, that we're doing the count. Uh, and the other piece uh, um, that I really heard is like some of the difficulties just around providers having to close, lack of volunteers, all related to COVID, which I think is a good transition to Ashley and Jeff. But uh, Isaiah, I see your hand up, but I, I want to give you the floor to, to come in here. Yeah, I also wanted to say, because um, Tony, I, that, I think that was a great point to touch on um, is the stability factor because it plays into, um, I have a, belief that was inspired by some previous work that I did with a nonprofit, and they said that we have to start reshaping our idea of what homelessness and houselessness are, that these are two separate concepts and that we keep loping it into one and that's why it's not getting, that's why it's not getting solved or fixed or um, corrected is because we have homeless, houselessness, which is what everybody has a problem with, seeing people on the streets and encampments and unhoused and not in a shelter, a four wall uh, with a roof over their heads building that's certified as safe and livable. That is a, that's that issue. But then we have homelessness, which is what we are all experiencing, which is what we're all dealing with. Just because we have a bed or a wall with or a space with four walls and a roof does not mean we are homed. It means that we have shelter. Um, we are not promised that for the continuing future. We are not guaranteed that we will have that. And that is the issue we're struggling with. That is the biggest issue youth struggle with. Um, and so that's why I really. I, also really wanted to drive home was that that's what's not being seen. We're seeing the houselessness. We're not addressing and seeing the homelessness. Thank you. That's that's a really, I feel like, uh, critical framework for us to be thinking of it from. And because you're right, uh, those youth count slash pick out numbers only look at that front end of it, not the full thing like you're talking about. Um, uh, thank you both. Uh, we'll come back uh, into more, but um, wanted to give uh, a question over to, to Ashley and Jeff. Uh, from, from your perspective um, as, as providers and as folks kind of participating in, uh, in, in the youth count, can you, uh, can you talk to us about some of the major challenges uh, that you faced in this uh, year's count, whether that be pandemic or other related that you feel like uh, might have had an impact on, on these numbers that we're seeing? Yeah, I can go ahead and start. Um, you know, kind of like um, Isaiah and Tony mentioned, um, and all of us have talked about um, COVID um, really was, I. I think had way more of an effect than we we thought that it would. Um, just starting at like staff at the staffing level um, with agencies, kind of figuring out um, you know what that looks like as far as um, young people going into transitional housing, emergency housing, access center hours, and and whatnot, um, and kind of having that limited with um, just you know the amount of um, access centers and um, agencies that. Would have outbreaks and close down for a time so it was there you know lack of consistency i guess for young people to be able to access those resources um and the staffing there um really affected the way that we were able to like the volunteers at that level to get um folks out um and as many people as we've um, been able to get in the past to um go and complete um do the surveys um and take young people out so 
just on that level, um, we we saw a big a big change. Um, I think this is the this is the third year that I've done the count, um, and um, we yeah we just saw numbers decrease um, a lot in in the amount of volunteers that we got um, to participate, um, and we with a ton of young people of uh, you know being interested in going out, we just didn't have the staff to support that. So. Um, yeah, that was that was a big one. Um, I think another um, another thing, kind of. I think Isaiah and Tony mentioned this. It, you all covered a lot, <laughs> um, and kind of answered this question as well. But I think um, you know the methodology um, and the practices that we're using are really um, meant for adults, um, the adult population, and we've seen that across the board um, in guidances and policies that. Um, um that that's kind of the framework you know we we work off of and um young people aren't really um centered in that way and so you know there's just uh, so many different ways that um that we could be working with young people and and figuring that out and i think we've talked about that um as providers and um but we just it, it's been really difficult to implement that um one of the other big changes is that you know this year i think um we uh, we had a uh, a little bit a lot less support um, from from USC um, this year. There was a big change. Um, Lens Code's great, and they were um, this is their first year doing youth count, and they were amazing. Um, I do think that um, the lack of support uh, or that that pool um, support was a, was a big change. Um, there was a lot on providers um, and the lack of staffing and. And whatnot, what was a struggle. Um, so there was just, um, I think, a lot going on there, um, where we were definitely trying to pull, pull as many resources as possible to get to get the count done in a short period of time. Um, and so those are just some of the things I've seen. Yeah, I mean, I think you know that that statistic, uh, like stuck out for me in terms of the reduction in percentage of surveys collected, right? And I feel like what you spoke to, like correlates with that so much, right? Less volunteers, less staffing available, you're gonna end up serving um, less people. I feel like the hope side to that is, what I heard you say is, you had a lot of young people interested in getting out there and helping and not the staff support to, to support it this year. So it's like a huge, for, net, for this coming year, what does that look like and how do we, uh, as a community, increase that support so that we actually can get every young person who wants to get out there counting, counting, I think is a, uh, a piece of hope in this for me, right? Which is like, we have we have the energy behind it. We have the, the young people behind it. We just, we have to do the job of figuring out um, as we're coming out of a pandemic, hopefully, uh, how we can actually staff up and support that. Um, before I push it over to Jeff for the same question, Tony, I saw your hand go up. Did you, do you have something you wanted to add in there? Um, yeah, but I think it's to a, uh, it's gonna be answered in a question later, so I'll just, it. Okay, feel free to jump in though. Um, Jeff, anything you would add to Ashley in terms of kind of just helping us understand some of the challenges that providers faced um, in, the, in the count this year? Yeah, I mean, I think Ashley, you know, experience at the LGBT Center is representative for a number of service providers, um, the impact of COVID, um, the methodology concerns, and we certainly, you know, carry those as well. I do think it's important to put a little bit of kind of big picture context here. And I know, you know, I'm going to speak from, you know, my friend's place numbers, but from my colleagues, I understand that we were all seeing just less young people access accessing services during COVID. 
So you're already starting with a smaller potential sample to be surveying. Um, and I think we're going to get into some theories around that later on in this conversation as far as the general population and what was happening during the pandemic. Um, but it's important to just note, you know, at my friend's place, you know, we were seeing, you know, far less young people than we were seeing pre-COVID. But I was, you know, having a conversation with our intake and crisis care manager before this call, who was really leading on our youth count efforts this year. We served about, surveyed 50 or so young people during the, the time of the count at MFP. But there were a number of young people who were at MFP during the count and they weren't eligible. So that goes back to the eligibility pieces here. You know, you had young people who were couch surfing, who were double, tripled up, who may have been access, who got access to shelter during the course of the um, count and then suddenly weren't eligible for a survey. We also were seeing young people who were over the age restriction of 25. Um, and that's a whole another conversation that we should be having around like what is that definition of youth and young adults and, and where do we kind of draw that line when it comes to funding and resources. But I think the bigger piece here for, for me and I think for my colleagues is really why is somebody eligible for services at an organization like My Friend's Place or Safe Place for Youth or the LGBT Center, but wouldn't be considered eligible for a survey if you're trying to get a, a big understanding of this population. Um, so, you know, one of the many things that we've been as a collective from the Hollywood Homeless Youth Partnership and Lacey been pushing for for years is really expanding that definition and eligibility piece. Um, because pointing time counts while effective, they're not holistic in its view. You're getting a, an idea of what's happening and it's not representative of the entire population. And then you start adding in eligibility restrictions and you're really cutting into, I think, what is the, the 360 view of youth homelessness in Los Angeles. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. I, I feel like some great points in terms of, again, kind of circling back to this, like how we actually are defining what it means to um, be unhoused, whether that be for the survey or, right, like like you said, there's a 360 view. There's so many levels to that because it's for the survey, it's for definition, it's for eligibility, and it all kind of intersects in different ways, um, the way you look at, at, at those pieces. But kind of looking at it from the lens of uh, of the count and how we understand a, a better and broader understanding of uh, what it means to uh, again experience homelessness uh, for you, for young people. I'm curious uh, for anyone, and this is for anyone on the panel really, uh, if you have insight around kind of the different ways in which young people experience homelessness that isn't being caught um, by uh, the youth count or the pit count. Um, and my follow up to that will be like. Any thoughts on methodologies to actually change that for us to be able to count that more? But but first, if you could help kind of folks on this call understand like what what are the ways in which uh, young people are experiencing homelessness that we're missing through uh, this through these types of counts? And again, anyone anyone feel on the panel feel free to jump in here. I feel like it's weird. Um, um, I'm gonna use a. Uh like a census, when we do the census count, you know, everyone, the the wording around it is that, you know, everyone matters and every, you know, everyone should be counted regardless of, you know, your status in the country or, uh, you know, whatever walk of life you're in, you know, everyone deserves to be counted for the count. So to go back to Jeff's point um, about how some youth were in the, you know, came, were in the space, and others were being counted, but whereas, you know, some youth weren't being considered, it just to me, it sounds ridiculous that, you know, that's, you know, that that happened because 
then else why would you explain that you know somebody's getting services if they're not if they don't count you know if they're having access to that service that's because they need it and that's because they're experiencing homelessness otherwise they wouldn't be coming in the space to you know get those services so um definitely changing that but i also think maybe the idea of yes you know somebody doesn't count as eligible but how how about you know we count we still count them but just on a separate spreadsheet just be like hey you know this is who qualified as you know who was eligible but this is also a huge number that we have of people that weren't they didn't you know that weren't eligible but still you know fell under what we think is homelessness i think that would help you know even if two, two separates of numbers and even that added more work for some people I do think that would still help to be like, hey, you know, these folks weren't eligible, but we still counted them and we still consider them to be experiencing homelessness because they did um, get services from us. So I think that is something that, you know, I think service providers should consider doing for this coming next year. Yeah, yeah. and just, just to add to that, I think um, what Tony said, I. I do believe, um, I can't remember right now, it's been a couple of years, but I believe that we did a really like a trial run of something so like, like that, um, where we were counting those folks. I believe it was only in spa four. I can't remember right now. It was maybe two, three years ago. Um, but I think that that's a great idea. I think that that's something um, I hope that we're able to expand on. I know there, um, you know, with funding, it would be great. I think it, it comes down to like when, the, when young people come in, I, I definitely, I've done a lot of the surveys, I've sat down. And a lot of the folks that were coming in, um, after asking a few questions, more than just the, what's on the survey, you realize that they actually that young person actually does qualify. So if you're just going off of the survey and asking that question, like, hey, where were you staying last night? Um, that person says, oh, I stayed with my uncle, you know, and then we're not counting that person. Um, and a lot of, you know, surveyors, um, some are volunteers, um, you know, so a lot aren't going to ask further questions. And sometimes that um, that can be the difference between somebody being counted and not. And I, I've seen that myself when surveying folks. So um, I think that a lot of a lot of young people, the way that they move um, and and navigate this, their system is very different than adults. And um, like um, Isaiah said earlier, um, they're very creative, very innovative. Um, and we need to take that into account. Um, and, you know, we have seen a rise, I will say we have seen a, a rise in numbers for, I would say, diversion or problem solving. So a lot of folks coming in who are, um, you know, staying with family or friends, and um, we've been able to support with host stipends or um, maybe, you know, rental arrears, stuff like that. And so uh, there has been that support, but I don't know, um, I don't know if, um, I don't know how that would tie in, but I think that that's been something that we've seen a lot too, where a lot of um, young people are kind of um, more in um, unstably housed. They fit in that category, but I think we really need to expand the definition, like other folks on the panel said, of what what homeless is, like what you know what that definition is, and it it does need to include couch surfing if we really want to capture the amount of young people that um, are experiencing this, because that can change in a second. You know, a hotel stay. For a day is not is not stably housed, um, and and that's something that I mean that's a bigger discussion. But I think um, like everyone else said, I agree um, with Tony's. Um, one of Tony's solutions is um, you know 
um, getting that data, um, I think we just need, we need the training and, and funding for that, but that would be amazing. We've done it before. So I think, um, I think we can do it again. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, both of you bring up such great points around, uh, from my experience in lots of communities like this, uh, Ashley, particularly what you're saying around, you ask a few more questions and you realize like, oh, actually you do uh, meet the definition and how many young people we actually are missing because the survey may not dive deep enough to understand like, oh, actually this doubled up situation is unsafe, therefore you are meeting the definition of homelessness. Or actually, like you really don't know if you can stay more than 14 days, so that does mean you're meeting the definition of homelessness. But the survey doesn't necessarily allow us to get to a place where we capture that, right? Still, there's a lot to be said around just expanding the way we think about how to describe how to you know describe what it means to be unhoused um, but even within that right what I'm hearing is like maybe there is some space as we think about the next youth count to be thinking about diving up uh, asking a few more questions that can maybe broaden uh, and get more understanding of who may be fitting into the definition and if they're not how do we capture data around what their situation is so that we have a number that is bigger than than the definition um, taking notes on that as um, I believe at the end of this, we'll have a call to action about soon <laughs> launching into what it looks like for, for Youth Count 2023. 20, uh, so these are these are great ideas on what that could look like. Um, Isaiah, I see your, your hands up. Yeah, um, yeah, I think everybody really touched on it um, and that it, it's a lot to do with the, again, the methodology, the definitions being used to define it. Um, just real quick, looked up what the HUD definition of homelessness is, it, it says, individuals, families who lack fixed, regular, inadequate nighttime residence. Um, and then it goes on to say for also those exiting 90 day programs and stuff like that. But that right there is, is a problem because if these, the way these are being done, if they're being done during the day, then you're going to miss a lot of the youth who um, somebody in the chat had pointed out. There's youth who they spend the days either at their friend's place because their parents are gone. There's youth who will go to school. I mean, I'm a student, so I know that during the day, I'm not going to be around to partake in any of that. I'll be at school, but that doesn't mean that I'm not homeless when I come back from school. There's people who go to work and that youth who are trying to work and hold down a job while also still being homeless. Um, there's, it's not so much that there's that there's also a new methods while that is a big factor of it it's also that there's different categories of what homeless youth are in there's students there's workers there's mental health there's substance abuse there's all these different categories that youth are in where they might not be available or in the space or um, right there at that moment to take that survey or be a part of that or be considered that but that doesn't mean that they're not so homeless um, Again, couch surfing was called out. Um, someone had talked about, uh, Tony had talked about the doing Airbnbs that um, I know when I came, I was offered a hotel voucher for my school. Um, and then after that, I ended up in my car. So it's like, that was, I was in a, I technically would have been considered sheltered for the two weeks that I had that, but then I was out. Um, so there's all these different, there is all these new ways that homelessness is appearing in our society and with youth and it really just take, it's not so much that we're going to be able to tell them all right now it is that it is we just need to start incorporating more youth voices to find out what they are we need to bring more youth who we are seeing out in these spaces who um, maybe have the ability to advocate or communicate with other youth and pull on them to be like hey 
and then provide them opportunities. Don't just use them for that, but compensate them, reward them, show them that the work that they're gonna do is actually valuable to helping their peers and to helping their community and to making it so that this is no longer a pandemic of, in of its own that we're struggling with. Um, but I think that's the only way we're really gonna be able to address it is to continue to bring in the perspectives of others to continue to find out what those new methods are. Because I can tell you only what I've heard and what my friends have said, and, and that is that's the couch surfing, that's staying over during the day or finding places to hang out during the day. Um, I mean, during especially when it's cold out or when it's extreme heat out, like people aren't gonna try and be outside or be on the streets as much. But then come night when they have nowhere to go to or to hide off into, that's when you're gonna see a lot of these youth. Um, and I think that's something else to take into consideration. Um, but then when you're asking questions like, where did you stay last night? And someone says something um, that then automatically counts them off. Ashley did a great job of covering that too, is like people being mindful. That's what I was kind of referring to earlier on. Ran ahead of myself a little bit there. Um, but that's what I was saying was that it was, we need to have people who are doing this, who are, are able to see through the trauma and maybe see through what that youth is presenting in that moment. They could be defensive, they could be deflective. It could be a, a, a mixture of things, but that does not take away the fact that they are still a homeless, houseless youth. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you all. I mean, I, I uh, think there's so much in there to bring into the next youth count uh, that I want to just kind of make sure we're highlighting, which is uh, I'm just going off of directly what you just said is like, we know there is young people that were interested, uh, not only in the count, but interested in thinking through what the methodology looks like. So uh, how do we bring them in uh, now as, as the youth count uh, for next year is being prepared for and launched? Uh, how do we think about uh, maybe going off of uh, what that pilot was um, to see what we learned around the questions that were added or the expanded way in which um, uh, SPOF4 actually looked at uh, homelessness in that year that the pilot was. How do we do a little bit more um, on the training side, right? So both on kind of digging a little bit deeper to see if you can ask a few more questions because they may actually fit into uh, different parts of the category of the definition, but also to Isaiah's point, uh, to make sure that like you're understanding the trauma and the way in which it's asked and the way in which you may be getting a response that isn't uh, uh, that isn't giving you the whole story. Uh, and how do you how do you work with young people on that? So I, I just want to highlight all those as like some interesting ways Ways that you all can think about what LA's next youth count looks like um, as you start planning. Going to keep plugging. I know at the end of this call they're going to plug for the launch of uh, planning for the next youth count. Um, but I do want to shift us. I also want to, um, for folks that are posing questions, I know folks are responding to your questions in chat. If they're not, um, they're going into a list and we're going to we're gonna have Q&A uh, at the end uh, so you can come off uh, mute hopefully and ask those questions. But just wanted to let you know we're seeing your questions uh, and we're tracking them and we're going to get to them. Um, the next question I had, though, I wanted to shift us a little bit. We've talked a lot about uh, kind of what these numbers can mean, the fact that like we can't fully actually say that those reductions are real reductions based on all the factors that we talked about. Um, and, um, uh, and we've talked a lot about the methodology changes we can make to try to get better and more accurate numbers. What I want to look at now is um, some of the numbers that really gave, uh, I know, all of us concern, which was increase in, in report around struggling with mental health um, and use of, uh, of substances uh, for young people, particularly young people um, um, living on, on the streets. Um, and so I want to uh, ask this again to any panel member. Um, and uh, talk to us a little bit around um, what do you think those numbers are telling us in terms of the ways we may need to be 
uh, shifting or thinking differently about our resources and our interventions based off of um, uh, based off of those numbers around mental health and substance abuse. I was waiting for this question. I, I'm really uh, this question hits home a little bit just because in like uh, the community that I have facing currently, we've lost about four youth already this year um, and a little bit as of, uh, towards the end of last year to um, substance use and um, it's getting worse in the sense that those getting on substance um, is increasing more and more and more as the numbers show um, and it's 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 directly linked to COVID in that the isolation that caused the, the intense independent struggle of survival that youth were faced and having to endure they it broke up communities it broke up our ability to come together as community and rely on each other for things like safety and shelter and stuff like that I know multiple youth who they use just to stay alive in the sense they use it to keep themselves awake at night when they're on the streets because they're afraid to fall asleep in public places when they have nowhere else to go um they that was their survival method they were introduced to it through some other method of um just getting by or living on the street and it's not so much that they want to continue using or that they want to continue that behavior but they they have a learned harmful survival behavior that they're enduring and they don't know how to stop until they realize that they're no longer having to survive and when you're living on the streets and you're on the streets that's never going to come until you actually are off of them um and the mental health i mean isolation as all housed individuals i'm sure we all struggle or that you all struggled with the COVID and the isolation that that brought and kind of the mental health that that started to awaken for people. Um, but just as youth who are, have probably come from a survival um, scenario or situation, um, and now they're on their own and trying to figure out that, like I said earlier, navigate being an adult and what that means, while also being homeless and what that means, houseless and what that means. Um, it's a lot. Uh, it's a it's a lot to just be a kid in our day and age, let alone have all those stresses now on top of you. Not not a kid, but a youth. Um, and so I think that's a huge part that um, has played into that. The I think solutions to this are that we start to have more youth centered substance use. Um, uh, advocacy and like uh, assistance and support, having safe site injections specifically for youth. Not that we uh, like kind of what was just vetoed down for the adults but something specifically for youth because it's it'll give them the ability to do the behaviors in a safe space and not harm themselves get safe materials and then also start to get education to start getting incorporated into knowing what services are out there for them to build trust in a community of support um, and to no longer have to practice those safe behaviors and are those unsafe behaviors in unsafe environments and can start to gain a sense of what safety and stability is so that they can start to wean off or they could be supported in weaning off um, so that then they can start accessing mental health services if they need that um, most likely if they're on substance use they will need some form of mental health. So just having that ready to go, but never making those requirements of shelter or safety because that then puts them back into a mindset of, okay, now they want me to give up something in order to compensate them or meet them. And I can't do that. I can't give up my survival or my safety mechanism in order to meet your requirements for what's considered decent or acceptable into whatever program you're offering. I need something that is going to meet me at my struggle and be like, I see your struggle. I don't see you as a bad person. I see what you're going through and I want to help you get out of what you're going through so that you can be the person you're meant to be. And so that is, yeah, sorry, I got to, okay, yeah. Oh, thank you, thank you. I feel like you gave not only such context as to like where, why we think some of those numbers are what they are, but such concrete um, uh, solute, 
some country resources and approaches we could be taking, right? And what I heard was like meeting young people where they are. I mean, the the judgment that can sometimes come with increased numbers like that, and what that does to shut down uh, access and, and 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 ability to enter into services, uh, and pushing uh, for the for the policy change and the legislation we know is needed, like the safe uh, um, uh, needle spaces and and all their safe injection spaces. So, um, thank you uh, for giving us so much to think about, not just in the context of this, but like what are some actual steps we can be taking and doing differently as a community. Jeff, I see you're, you're coming in. Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to thank Isaiah. I mean, your passion is felt and needed. Um, so thank you for sharing that. You know, from a service provider's perspective, you know, the anecdotes are, are exactly what we are seeing. You know, the number of young people that we have been serving during the pandemic, the crisis is at an all-time high, substance use is high. Um, it is obviously disheartening and scary for service providers to see statistics like what the Department of Public Health puts out that, you know, the deaths among unhoused populations in Los Angeles are surging. You know, I think the number was 56% in the first year of the pandemic, but of that 105% of uh, increase among 18 to 29 year old deaths. Like these are the young people that we are serving, we are caring about, or who maybe have fallen through the cracks over the course of the pandemic and didn't have access to services for a whole host of reasons, some of which we've already covered. Um, I think what, you know, the team at my friend's place, and I'm sure many of our colleagues keep coming back to is a need for better care coordination. Um, you know, it is so frustrating to, you know, see our, you know, housing case managers working with young people who are being diligent and waiting for that shelter opportunity or waiting for that housing voucher and then finally getting an opportunity to take it, but there's not adequate mental health services, or there's too, too many restrictions around substance use and not really leaning into you know, individualized care. Um, so I think to Isaiah's point, this kind of system overhaul of how do we treat the, the, you know, the symptoms and the severity of a young person's experience of homelessness is so key to success here. Because if we you know, put somebody into a shelter that they're basically being set up to fail at, because it's so restrictive or because there's not adequate mental health services, they then find themselves right back on the street at the bottom of that housing list, at the bottom of the CES list. Um, and then we really run that you know, dangerous risk of losing that young person, of losing connection with them, of them becoming more enthralled, you know, enthralled in their crisis. Um, and it will be all that much harder to help that pull them out and help them find that stability and that health and safety that they need. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. I feel like the point around, you know, some of these issues we've known have been there, which are some of those restrictions you're talking about that made it hard to access, but also the care coordination we know is lacking uh, across the county um, are are resulting now in what you that statistic you're talking about, right, which is higher deaths among young people. And, and what more call to action can we have than young people? Um, losing their life uh, at increased rates. So I, I appreciate you bringing, bringing that in. Tony or Ashley, anything you would, you'd want to add around um, kind of what the substance abuse and, and mental health numbers are telling us and what we need to shift? Yeah, um, I think for me, as far as mental health, I think you have to look at, again, kind of COVID, because I think that really brought a lot of people at an ease because you know when you're told like hey you know work is going to be off for two weeks so this thing can be figured out and then next thing you know you're six months in trying to figure out what's going on and you know how to go about it and everything and it's like 
in the beginning, I personally was also like one of those people who were like, am I going to lose my apartment? Because I don't have work. My work, my job wasn't working from home. So I pretty much lost work and was relying on savings. So they, I like, I started stressing out on when is this thing going to end? Because I can't go back to where I just came from. So I think a lot of people face that. A lot of people, a lot of youth faced evictions. I think that, that played a huge part in people's mental health is just the idea of going back to something that you worked so hard to, you know, um, move away from. I think for me, um, resonates so much to me as like, you know, that kind of like inquiry wanting to know like, hey, how are you going to help me? Like, you know, if, uh, if I do fall backwards, will I have to go through the shelter system again? Or is there going to be a program to help me assess me pay for my apartment while, you know, so I think that for me and my peers that I knew, I think that was like the biggest worry that led to a lot of like mental health issues was constantly not having answers about what was going to happen. And um, as far as substance abuse, I think that also kind of correlates when sometimes when people don't have answers, they tend to just want to have an escape of kind of go into an escapism world where it's just like there's too much to think about and there's too much going on in the world and it's just like I'm already experiencing homelessness and I'm like there's this epidemic going on and there's just a lot going on there's sometimes people just need an escape and I think I personally obviously uh don't know much more about the increase in the uh, substance use but I can see how the worrying and the stressing about what was going on in the beginning of the pandemic could lead to someone, you know, whether it was someone who was sober falling back into those old patterns, because, you know, it's better than sitting around worrying about what's happening or whether I'm going to be evicted or not. So why not just be high? So I think I can see that as a reason why people would go back to, you know, using substance abuse. And pretty much just in general, I think mental health I think not just for people experiencing homelessness but I think just for everyone in general goes hand in hand with what we all went through and I think it's more severe obviously for if you're someone who's been homeless and all of a sudden you lose your job uh because you can't go to work and now you're like okay I was homeless before and now this you know this is not where I want it to be and so I think I think that's where I'm at yeah yeah, and I, I just, Tony and, and, and Jeff both just uh, really thank you for bringing in the, the true kind of uh, mental health effect and, and trauma really of, as you both said in different ways, like the starting over process that has to happen when you're exited from shelter or one or another housing program doesn't work uh, for you and how that, um, you know, COVID had all of its effects on mental health, but how even past COVID that continues to have a, a huge effect on, on young people's mental health when that whole process and that anxiety around starting all the way over from the beginning um, happens uh, through discharge and other reasons. Uh, I see Tony, your hands back up and Isaiah also wanted to add anything in here. Yeah, so I just wanted to add that also um, one of the challenges that I personally faced was even though I had access to internet at home, like finding time to actually meet with my therapist or me um, have access to that service. And also because I 
you know, Zoom was still new and I didn't trust Zoom and I didn't feel like me sitting down in front of a computer and talking to my therapist was the same as, um, was the same as me, you know, seeing my therapist in person. But I'm sure there's a lot of people who are on the street that didn't have access to, you know, those therapists that we're seeing or access to DMH. So I think that also played a big role into mental health. Definitely. Thank you. Is there, was there something uh, you wanted to add in there? Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, I think, um, again, it just kind of points to this idea that we need to really work on separating homelessness and houselessness, that homelessness really is that inability to be stable, to have consecutive shelter, but then not just shelter, but then an ability to rest, to heal, to grow and actually thrive. Um, once I have just, uh, just because Tony brought up uh, I think uh, we might. Is it Wait, just, we might as far Isaiah, you're getting a little choppy. I think we might be like losing your internet. Speaking of access issues, right, and internet, and so the ability to access your mental health. Better. Uh, might want to turn your camera off just because you're getting a little choppy. Is that better? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, sorry, but yeah, the I wanted to touch on Tony. I brought it up just kind of how instantaneous that homelessness can be for for us, and even if you are perceived as being very successful or maybe um, interactive. Um, there was a youth who, uh, and, and it just kind of it, it's not to, it's more of a call into one that idea of not just putting someone in a space on a body in a in a bed and calling it done without having the right support or um, all that but there was a youth that i had a um, interaction with and i got to kind of get to know their story and they told me how they had been working as a cpn or, or not a CPN, a cna gosh a nurse uh, and they were had an overnight shift um had communicated it and um ended up that somehow it did not get through to the person who was supposed to so that they could get approved to be out and due to COVID restrictions and whatnot, there was curfew involved and they missed the curfew. They ended up losing then their housing in that shelter because of missing curfew, came back to their stuff, being removed from the space. And then um, due to that and the anxiety and trying to find a new place now to live at night, they then missed their shift at work, then became lost their job. So within two days, they lost their housing, they lost their job. They then ended up on the streets and then it just kind of spiraled from that point on and um, ended up seeing them about three weeks later and they were on substance use, struggling with mental health. And this was a person who just came from being presumably very successful to everyone else would be this very successful individual and all that happened within the span of two days. And so we can't just keep assuming that just because someone is in a bed that it's taking care of the problem to solve. We have to start really being mindful of making sure our spaces have the support needed, the communication, the staffing, whatever it is to make sure that we're not just putting youth in the same space that they're coming to us with and giving them the same trauma that they've already dealt with. Yeah, yeah, such a great point. Uh, really, you know, what it, what it takes to shift our system to stop actually being a perpetrator of trauma, right? Um, because uh, the system can actually and does uh, perpetrate trauma um, often. Um, 
So I know I'm just looking at time and I'm like, oh, this pedal is so amazing. And, and of course we need to, we need to shift, but I do want to give one more question to all of you before um, we go to, to Q and A. Um, I see a few questions queued up from, from attendees. Um, but the last question I have for you is, we've talked a lot about the complications uh, of the count this year and the facts uh, that uh, those reductions um, are not accurate reductions or a full picture of uh, homelessness among young people. Um, but uh, I want to also have us talk about it. I think Janet was kind of saying this somewhat earlier, which is we also know that there was new resources that came out during COVID and there was things that shifted uh, and are working uh, uh, around the system um, to, uh, to move young people uh, into, into stable housing. And so I'm wondering if any of you have uh, kind of thoughts on what some of those shifts look like, some of the things that you think really are working, um, whether that be some of the interim housing that came out during COVID or youth specific long-term housing, uh, trying to end us on more on a positive note here and thinking about like what is working, what would you say we should keep doing or do more of uh, across the system? And again, that's for anyone who wants to jump in. Um, I'll go ahead. I, I think Ashley pointed out a lot of great options things that were said as far as like the um, hosting stipends and stuff like that, providing that. I know that that helped um, a close relationship of mine. Um, they were able to find housing through that and were secure after they had gone through a traumatic experience. And so they were able to reestablish housing, which was a really great thing so that they weren't back out where they had just gotten off of. Um, I think there's some great programs that are in the process and that are being talked of. I know that along with kind of host stipends, there's a program considered as a host home host homes. I think that just due to the COVID and the pandemic that that really has put a huge stop on that program and it's um, kind of success because in reality it would be great to have um, communities start to open up their spaces to these people to normalize us as human beings and no longer look at us as just homeless that belong in a shelter. No, like we are human beings, we are students, we are people, we are workers just like everyone else so it's okay to accept us into your spaces and like be comfortable it's no different than if you were to accept it for an exchange student um, we're more willing to allow others from other countries to stay in our homes than we are our own people sometimes and i think that's a big thing we should consider as well um i think that getting more youth involved in the conversation of what works for their housing i think has been the most beneficial thing i think trying to continue this up mentality that as um the system or whatever um, that it knows what it's doing, that it knows what is the right way, even though that's not, it sounds like that's not the common mindset amongst a lot of the providers here today and that there is some great pushback with that. Um, it's, I think we gotta, somebody called out, we gotta stop just talking. And at this point we gotta start acting on it and start pushing back against those in the powerful seats and saying, no, we as the ones on the ground, as the ones running these programs are here to tell you that it's not working and we need to start being given more leeway to run our programs the way we are um, and to be able to support the youth in the way we are. I think that that's um, one of the biggest things that's been successful is the youth advocacy that's been emboldened through all this. Um, I know at the center, there is a lot of opportunities for that. And in fact, there's a group that is trying to be started and the interest alone in that group received so much. I mean, there was over uh, 15, 20 youth who signed up just to be notified about, hey, what can we do? How can we get active in this? How can we apply? When can we do that? Um, I think that is a really big thing to take note of is that youth want to speak, they want to advocate. They may not have the tools or the skills or the necessary demeanor to do it, but that's not their fault. They should be given the space to do it or to be able to 
say what they need to say and maybe the behavior of the presentation of it not be taken at that at that front but the words hear the words and hear what's behind them um but yeah i think that's the most pivotal stuff that's been working it's just more voices are being brought in more um mindset around change no longer having a fixed mindset a growth mindset is what has really been the saving grace through all this um i think someone had called out that maybe that uh, that the lot that the decline could also be valid in that there was a lot of problem solving um and uh, new innovative thoughts brought up to the table and i think that's great but um i also think we need to be mindful that while that worked it didn't solidify and like stabilize that person it may have taken care of it for a little bit maybe for a few weeks or something but that that, that person wasn't then Homed. They were just housed or sheltered for a period of time. And that doesn't fix the problem. It just puts a band-aid over a hole in a boat while you're at an ocean. So until so you can actually take time and get that boat out, fix it up, seal that hole, you're going to keep have flooding and sinking beneath everybody. So I would say that that's, yeah. 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 Thank you. Others, thoughts on uh, on the things that are working that we should be doing more of, like like Isaiah was pointing out? Yeah, I think Isaiah's spot on there, obviously. Um, I just want to, you know, put a word of caution and something that, you know, I'm worried about and I think many of my colleagues are worried about are some of the COVID-specific protections that were put into place that have arguably been effective. The, the concern of what happens if and when they go away, right? So, you know, eviction moratoriums and rent protections were obviously hugely effective in people, keeping people literally in their homes and with, you know, roofs over their heads. We know the county's already done away with it. The city is supposedly going to be doing away with their protections. All signs seem to then point to what's going to be an, a huge increase, particularly in families experiencing homelessness. So these are people that maybe haven't even, you know, been system connected before. And you might have, you know, families that are five, six people suddenly you know finding themselves on the streets that will have a direct impact on youth serving organizations because you're going to see teenagers young adults who are going to be split from their family units in this case and are going to be seeking services and it's going to be a different type of, of population that's going to need resources so you you know hopefully you could make an argument for many reasons to keep eviction moratoriums and rent protections in place but i do think the potential impact that would then come into homeless services is huge and the other one, and not necessarily advocating that it needs to stay in the place, but it's something we need to watch, are the protections that were put in around foster care reform, excuse me, foster care, um, and not exiting young people from foster care during the pandemic. Again, pre-COVID, we knew this was a leading cause of youth homelessness, um, young people coming out of the system, aging out of the system. So if there are thousands of young people that have just been held because of COVID, what happens when that restriction is lifted? Are we going to see this mass, you know, exodus out of foster care and young people with no, you know, safety net, no social safety net, and no means to support themselves? So again, what's you know concerning about a, a decreased number that's being reported in youth homelessness this year is even though many of us don't believe that's necessarily the right number, we're going to see this massive jump because these protections are taken away. And then that's going to really throw the, I think, the system into chaos. And how do we a, explain these numbers? What do we do around resources and funding to support this increase in people needing? And this is, you know, adults and youth at this point. Um, so yes, great work was done during the pandemic that did, you know, keep people literally sheltered and alive. Um, but we can't just pull them away because there will be really grave effects if we do. Yeah, yeah, and I think like, um, you know, your point is so strong in that. It's also for me. It's like 
the pandemic also uh, broke through some of those mythbusters that like, oh, you can't do that, right? Like, because we did it, right? Whether it be the foster care not aging out, whether it be like full uh, eviction moratorium and rent protections, like we did things policy-wise that were being told for decades could not be done, and we did them really quickly. Uh, so how do we match that with what Isaiah was saying in terms of like, you've got strong youth power that has grown, particularly in the last couple of years in LA County, that is ready to advocate, that is ready to like make change. How do you combine those two forces, right, to actually start having a strong advocacy base around keeping in place the things that worked around, uh, around COVID protections? Yeah, Isaiah, go for it. I was gonna, I will say that um, the answer to that is increased support in outreach and peer advocacy boards, um, increased support in your own outreach programs and funding. Um, I think that's been the biggest call out with all this is that outreach just isn't what it needs to be in order to really start getting people to where we need to be them to be in order to connect the youth the way they need to be connected. Um, and I think that that's how you can also do that by encompass and then also encompassing youth in that, um, creating more peer outreach positions, peer um, centered positions within your spaces so that they can then connect as a group and as a team of peer representatives on every aspect so that they know there's a peer for education. If you have an education service, if you have an employment service, if you have a housing, all of that stuff, and then having this team constantly meet together and come together so that they can bring to the table to you guys and as the providers and um, service providers what is going on? Where where are we falling short? Where do we keep, need to keep Where do we need to increase the youth voice? Where do we need to maybe decrease the providers' um, influence? All of that stuff is how that you can implement these things and do that and do it successfully. Um, but yeah, I think that that's going to be the first start. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Ashley and Tony. Anything you'd want to close us out with, uh, thought-wise, around this one? Yeah, I you know I think. Um... Jeff and Isaiah covered a lot. Um, and just to go back to your original question about, you know, kind of like, I guess, ending on a more positive note and just kind of sharing um, a little bit more about what things have worked. I think one thing that I've seen a lot of um, over the past year is um, an increase in the utilization of like problem solving services. So I know they mentioned this before, like with the host home, um, host home stipe, or not host home stipe, I'm sorry, not to confuse that with the program, but the host stipend. Um, like rental support um, and just general problem solving. I know in SPA 4, um, we have um, internal funds at the LGBT center that um, are utilized throughout SPA 4. And I've noticed a big, a huge um, change from when we first got those funds a few years ago and the people accessing them and how that's changed in the last two years. I can say, you know, a lot of the referrals go through me and I've seen so many um, a ton of um, uh, providers from different agencies across SPA 4 and outside of SPA 4 who have reached out to me. That includes um, some young people who are pregnant and parenting, a lot of um, former current um, DCFS probation youth. Um, and that, I think that's really telling too that I think we're, um, those services are getting out there. I think a lot of people just don't know about them. And so we are seeing more people um, reaching out to us and kind of building that, building that out. And I think that that's great. The more people that are um, utilizing those services, the, the more funding we'll get for it, hopefully. And that's been kind of, we've seen that increase in the past, the past two years. And hopefully, um, you know, we see it next year too. Um, yeah, I think um, that's, that's a really, um, a huge thing that I've seen. Um, we've had, I think, as far as problem solving goes, I think we've had 
um, in the past year at the LGBT Center anyway. I can't speak for the, for the other spas, but um, we've seen over 400 conversations had, and I believe over 100 people, um, 100 individuals. So that's 100 young people who were connected to, um, who got um, problem solving funding support. Um, and that is a number of things that's including reunifications, um, post stipends, and rental arrears, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, that's that's one huge thing that I've seen. Yeah, thank you, thank you, Tony. Any any last uh, thoughts on that one for you? Yeah, I think everyone covered everything, but I just think something that's obviously working that's not per se related to service providers is that a lot of young people are out there doing all this work on their own, and I think COVID made people realize like, hey, you know, it's, you know, that the place that I normally go to every day is closed because of COVID. So I have to do this on my own type of um, energy. So I think helping, obviously everyone is motivated to be in a better place. I think increasing in support and, and supporting youth and letting them like, you know, not like obviously like letting them take the lead and be like, hey, this is where I want to be. And this is what I need for you to support me, for me to be to be here or for me to get where I need to be. So I think increasing in that, because I think sometimes a lot of things get lost in bureaucracy or, you know, hey, we can't do this or not. But I think at the end of the day, if the result, if the result is someone gets housed in the way that they want it, rather than someone gets housed and they're not satisfied or they're not happy where they are, I think. So I think listening to youth and being like, hey, how can I help you get where you want to be, I think is something that um, we should be doing more going forward. And I think it's something that um, obviously not gatekeeping resources, you know, like, hey, you know, like this is this is what letting people know, like, hey, this is what we have and this is, you know, what you need to qualify for this. And instead of like, like, you know, hey, we might have access to this funding, it's not a lot, you know, and which may cause people to apply for the funding that they don't necessarily, I mean, everyone deserves access to funding. But, you know, sometimes when people don't have all the information, they may not know that that funding applies to them. So, you know, making sure everyone has access and knows what kind of funding is there and what you need or what kind of like eligibility that you know, like, hey, here's a list of, you know, things that funding that's access and here's what you need to have access to that kind of funding. So I think that would go a long way to people who, you know, who are online every day, like searching for their own places. I think if you compare notes and be like, hey, you know, if I find my own place, this is how the LGBT Center can help me. This is the kind of funding they have that could help me towards us. So I think working hand in hand with youth and like just listening to what they need and also letting them know like hey here's how i can help you and like moving forward from there well i love that ending note <laughs> i feel like that's such like the perfect way to uh end such a powerful panel is like the partnering and just listening to young people on what they what they need what the solutions are and and truly partnering and partnering authentically right not not partnering just uh, uh for show i think is such a strong way to uh, end a panel. Um, 
I know we said we do Q&A. We've been tracking most of them. I think we actually got to most, answered most of the questions. So I know there was questions around like methodology changes the panel had, and we went over that. There was questions around uh, how, what the effect that we had on uh, not being able to survey as many young people, and we've gone through that. So I, the one thing we didn't uh, get to, uh, and, and maybe in like one to two minutes so that we have time for the call to action, I'm curious, kind of last question for the panel, there was a good question on like, especially as we start to look towards the next count, how would you define housing stability for young people? If we were to like really put words to what it means to be stably housed, to move away from this idea of like unhoused or unsheltered and, and actually move towards what it means to be stably housed, what are the words, what's, the, what's some of the words you'd put to that? Uh, in the last, I'm gonna cut us off in like 60 seconds. So like in the last minute, if any of uh, the panelists have any thoughts on that. I would say start asking questions like, do you have any immediate fear of being unhoused within the next week or so? Do you have any fear of losing housing within the immediate future at all? Um, questions like that, because I mean, someone who isn't or who is stably housed should respond like, no, no, I feel good. I feel like I won't lose that. Someone who isn't and who is clearly going to be in need of services will say, yeah, or they will and then elaborate more. I think that's a great starting point um, because then it gets rid of this idea that just because you slept somewhere safely last night that you are no longer homeless. It gets more to the fact of what is your future looking like and what is the future nights of your shelter and safety look like? Thank you. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that the, the risk potential is huge and, and often goes overlooked, particularly when you're talking kind of about data. Um, that question in and of itself, you know, that Isaiah is saying would account for young people who are about to exit out of foster care and don't have a, a plan or don't have an ex-placement. Um, but I also think it's, and by and large, we haven't done this today, which is amazing. It's not getting hung up on the identity of homelessness, because I don't think anybody wants to quote unquote, be homeless or refer to themselves as homeless. And we know that young people in particular really push away from that. There's a stigma attached to it. There's a societal view and pressure attached to it. So not even leading with that term, but really talking about your sense of safety, your sense of, you know, how, do you have a, a safe place to sleep regularly? Do you worry about where you'll be able to sleep tomorrow night? And getting away from the, the, the actual term of it I think could also help because there are probably people both young and old who would be really resistant to even being attached to that term. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, I'm going to cut it there just because I want, uh, we got to, we got to call the action we want uh, before folks drop off. Um, but thank you so much, uh, Tony, Isaiah, Ashley, Jeff, for your time, for your expertise, for your passion uh, is super appreciated. This was, as folks are saying in the, in the chat, this was a super powerful panel and, and appreciate that.